When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm. The money rules that your mom and dad and your grandparents and the previous generations live by, they no longer work because you as a millennial are seeing a very different world. This new world means you got to know what advice still works and what advice just doesn't cut it anymore. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton-Gaines. It will expand your brain. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. You're already one of our biggest fans of the pod, but I want to invite you to go deeper behind the scenes with me every single month. Get all the scoops on what I'm loving, catch up on popular podcast episodes, and check out a video with a money tip in each monthly email delivered straight to your inbox. Plus, since I'm a big fan of having dessert first, 
I'm going to send you an exclusive bonus podcast episode, five minutes to recite your money mindset when you sign up as an added treat. Head over to mmoneypodcast.com and enter your email address in the box on the homepage to sign up. Again, that's mmoneypodcast.com. I can't wait to see you behind the scenes. I wanted to do this episode because I recently read this article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about the advice that our parents and previous generations had about money. It just no longer serves us. And it's not that all of the advice is bad or doesn't work. It's just that we live in such a different world. There's so many different factors coming at us. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to start this podcast because I had created this article, it was in December or November of 2014, about the top 10 money, uh, smart money moves actually to make in your 20s. And I put it on Pinterest and the thing went viral. And I thought, okay, <laughs> there's something to this. And I think what it was is just this recognition that money is is changed and there were all of these other factors coming at people in their 20s and 30s. We had student loans. We had different debt. We had credit card debt. We had this high cost of living. We had all of these different things. And so I thought, okay, well, this might make for a good podcast. <laughs> and that's kind of how millennia, it is actually how millennial money got birthed was just taking that article that went viral and feeling like there has to be new rules. There has to be this new language around money because a lot of the old school thinking was just not working anymore. And I think it just didn't even resonate with me. It didn't resonate with my peers. It didn't resonate with people that I was talking to. So I started to think back when I was putting together this episode about the first memories that I had where my parents bouted off some money advice. And it's really hard for me to say, okay, was it age five or age six? I don't really have a conscious memory. Maybe you do. There's a couple of things that come to mind though. Maybe you can relate to some of these. I remember them saying, don't spend more money than you have unless you have to, then it might be okay, which is a totally warped message. And it's probably the reason that I've got into a fair amount of credit card debt in my 20s, like right after college, and then again in my early 30s was this mixed message about sometimes debt is good and sometimes it isn't. But then when I look back on it, I actually am like, wow, I that's a piece of money advice that I think really does work because it's the reality. There are times in your life where you're going to have debt and things aren't going to run very smoothly, and that's okay as long as you know how to pull yourself out of it. I always remember my mom saying, shop <laughs> everything that is on sale. I mean, I can remember, gosh, even when my dad got a big job and we moved out to Los Angeles, we would still go shop on all of the sale racks. And I still, to this day, do that. I go in any store and I go just like a beeline to the sale area. And I look through that first. And I don't know if that's because I'm a money expert or just because that's what I was taught as a kid. But there's something for me about, okay, I feel like I'm getting a better deal. I mean, I, I tend to not buy anything online unless it's 
30, 40, 50% off. It's just one of those things that has stuck for me. And then I remember, maybe you can really relate to this one. I remember my parents saying, save as much money as you can. And I'm like, okay, that's fantastic. But how do I do that? And I find that a lot of the parental advice that we've got around money is you should do this or you should not do this, but not a lot of the how you actually do something. So there's this big gap between what you're hearing and then the practicality of how you figure that out. And the other thing that I remember was them saying to be successful, like really successful, aka make a lot of money. Again, I'm like, how do I do that? And I think it's manifested in me, this perfectionist quality that is not always good all of the time because I'm not always going to be the top. I'm not always going to be the best. I'm not always going to be successful at everything. And that, again, is is a reality. And I have failed at more things that I have tried um, and things that I didn't even think would be successful have been successful. So there's complete irony in that for me. I don't know what you remember, what advice you remember from your parents, particularly when you were younger, because I think those things maybe like subconsciously um, seeped into your pores. And it takes a little bit of thought to think through how you feel about those things now, whether you like that advice, whether you don't like that advice. As I said, I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was about this topic, and it just really spoke to me. Some of the most popular money advice that you also might have heard from your parents, here are some of the other popular things are, get an education and take on debt because it'll be worth it. (laughs) Yeah, you probably laugh at that one because so many of us are deep, 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 deep in debt from school loans, and we're thinking, was that even worth it? Uh, I mean, I got an MBA in 2006 from Pepperdine University, a school out here in Los Angeles that is gorgeous. It overlooks Malibu. It is everything you would want and more. Uh, I got the degree while I was working full-time, so unfortunately, I only got to experience one amazing class with a view of the ocean, but I definitely paid a steep price tag, and because a lot of my fellow MBA cohorts were working for big companies, they were actually getting their MBA without having to pay out of pocket. I did not have that luxury. So when I graduated, it was about $75,000 in debt, which is, is a lot of money. And I wasn't thinking about the price tag when I got accepted to get the MBA. I was just so excited that I got into this particular program. And yeah, it's it's helps it's helped some. It's definitely helped being a financial planner because I know the business side of things and I've been a business owner my whole career. So it's definitely given me some clout. I don't know if it's given me $75,000, $80,000 of clout, if I'm going to be honest with you. Another piece of money advice you might have heard, of course, is the ever popular buy a house. We'll talk about that one later. Have kids and send them to a good college because your parents sent you to a good college, so that's what you owe your kids, right? I don't know. There's something crazy about that. And, you know, you go to college so you can get a good job. And I think that money advice 
definitely no longer works because there are so many people who graduated from prestigious schools, undergrad, master's degrees, and they're having a really tough time finding a job. So those two things, in my opinion, I don't know how you feel, but they no longer correlate, at least the way they used to. And then make sure you've saved for retirement. And I mean, if you do those things, life is pretty much going to be buttoned up. It's going to be easy, no problems. But what are we experiencing? We're living in quite the opposite, many of us. Many of us are at the point of of struggle, maybe even financial ruin, gosh, maybe depression, anxiety around money and the decisions that you made that you thought were going to be good for your future, but it's just not looking so good. And then other of us, we're on the flip side of that coin. We've made decisions and they have opened doors. They have led us to amazing places. So there is this dichotomy that I feel is getting, I guess I should say the bridge there is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and wider and wider. And so it just feels like these rules, they just don't work anymore. So I thought, let's take them apart a bit. And this article in the Wall Street Journal did a great job of this. So I'm going to borrow some of the stats that they had listed because some of these are just, in my opinion, quite mind-blowing. So get this, college tuition has soared 1,375% since 1978. That might not sound like a big number to you, but that is huge. That is the biggest increase of any product, any, gosh, like anything in society. I mean, that is enormous. And why? I mean, why has this sword? Is it so college endowments can get fat while we struggle? It's really very, very frustrating. And it seems like there's absolutely no end in sight. So if college tuition for you was at an all-time high, can we even imagine what's going to happen when you start having kids and your kids are going to college? When you look at some of these numbers, especially for young parents who really want to be as as diligent as possible and have a really good heart and really want to pay for their college education for their kids. And they look at the numbers of how much money they might have to save to hit that goal. It's it's depressing in, in a word. And you start to think about, well, is this such a big priority? And what if my kid doesn't want to go to college? What if I save all this money and they decide that they want to do something else? Because don't you think that school is going to look really, really different? Like, let's fast forward like 15 years. I just think the way we learn is going to be so different. And I really hope that employers keep up with that, that we don't necessarily need these expensive degrees that aren't teaching us with the skills we need to learn for our career. But maybe we go out and we find different ways to get an education but we actually then really know what we're doing. Just my two cents on that one. So rent is hit a record high nationally at $1,008 a month. Certainly not in Los Angeles or any major city. We're looking at probably double that for the average rent. But get this, rent climbed faster than the overall inflation rate from 1990 to 2015. 
And that says a lot. I mean, one, it says that rent is really expensive. And I would imagine that this number is for a one bedroom. So if you want a two bedroom or God forbid, a three bedroom, you're going to need to be forking over a lot of money every month. Well, what if you're looking at your bank account and you just don't have it? I mean, it, it's it's tough. Another interesting stat, the average U.S. house sells for more than four times the medium income. So that's actually, I think, really good news if you've got a house to sell. But then the question is, where do you go? <laughs> Are you able then to buy another house? And what what can you buy? And then for buyers, how do you own a home if your income is so, so much less than what that house is selling for? These are just puzzling questions, I think. Another interesting thing, millennial households had an average net worth of 92000 in 2016, which it sounds like a lot, sounds like a lot to me. But that's actually... less than Gen X had at the same time. So the glaring sign here is that student loan debt isn't always good debt if it's causing your net worth to diminish so much and it's causing you to struggle to grow. But of course, you know, the, I think the flip side of that is well, what happens if you've already gone to college and you've done what you thought you were supposed to do? This was the money advice you got from your parents. You went, you got an education, and now you're staring at the student loan debt. Where do you go from here? Obviously, you can't reverse that decision. Many of us probably would want to reverse that decision. And in all honesty, I don't know if for us, there's going to be many options that come down the line from the government that are going to help us get rid of our student loan debt. Maybe that's just me being a complete pessimist, but I just I just don't see it happening. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? But let's I want to break these down a little bit and I want to talk about some positives to these as well. I don't I don't want this to just be a doom and gloom episode, but let's look at student loan debt. Yes, I think it can be good debt, but it's not always good debt. If the cost of the debt is causing you anxiety because you can barely pay for your other bills, the question is, is it worth it? Again, we can't go backwards. So what can you do? Well, we've talked a lot about student loan refinancing. It's a good option if you can secure a lower interest rate. So If you're looking at refinancing with SoFi or Earnest or any of those companies that are offering refinancing where you're seeing their commercials over and over and over again, what you want to look at is, what is my interest rate now? What would be my new interest rate? And how much money is that actually going to save me? Because those are the important questions before you actually then jump and make that leap into refinancing. And you also want to make sure that you're not trying to get student loan forgiveness. So if you're eligible for student loan forgiveness, refinancing is out of the question. Don't do it because you're moving your loans from federal loans to private loans, and it's going to remove you from that program for student loan forgiveness. But if you can, put any cash you have towards your student loans. You know that business idea that you've had that is lurking in your head? I think it's time you breathe some life into it and make it a reality. 
Take it from me, someone who's been creating business ideas for over 20 years now. For me, it all starts with a name. What are you going to call your new business idea or company? Once you've got a stellar name in mind, head quickly over to bluehost.com to register your URL and set up your website hosting before someone else snags your amazing name. I have over 25 URLs registered on Bluehost just in case I want to use them in the future. And what I love about Bluehost is how affordable it is to register your domain and get your website up and running fast. With my special URL, bit.ly slash Bluehost Money. You can register your domain name and set up hosting for your website all for only $3.95 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee to start building your business empire. Again, head on over to bit.ly slash Bluehost Money to get this special offer. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. 
Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnit provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnit is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnit app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work, and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use Earnin in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. 
We've talked about negotiation a lot on this podcast. And I think negotiation is one of the keys. Like if you could negotiate and let's say you bump your salary up a couple thousand bucks more a year, maybe even five, ten thousand dollars, maybe even more. I've seen it happen. Imagine what you could do with that extra money. Imagine how fast you could pay off your student loans. I mean, even just a few extra bucks in your payment every month would make a huge difference. And there are tons of calculators where you can go and you can figure out, okay, if I owe this much, my interest rate is this much, this is how much I'm paying every month. What if I paid an extra 50 bucks or 75 bucks? What would happen? How fast would I be able to pay out that loan? And I think when you can really visually see that, it could really motivate you to just do what you can to get that debt taken care of. If you're thinking about getting a master's degree or an advanced degree, I think the question is, does the cost of that degree align with the income increase you'll likely get? Of course, there's really no way for you to know this exactly, but you can research it. And I think spending some time doing that, not getting totally sucked up into the, oh my God, I got accepted to this program because... I think that's the marketing message we're sold. It's certainly the marketing message I was sold. And then when I'm staring down heaps of debt, it's like, all right, maybe that wasn't such a good decision. So think of this example. If you need to spend 50,000 bucks to say get a nursing degree, but your salary is likely to jump 30,000 bucks, then it might make sense. However, your salary is only going to marginally increase or maybe it won't even increase at all. Is it worth it to take on that burden of an extra $50,000? I don't know. That's a, it's a tough question. And let's move on to the idea of the house, the American dream, right? I feel like we're sold this from when we come out of the womb, that this is your trajectory. Your trajectory is to graduate college, get a job, get married, buy a house, have kids, save for retirement, retire, and then you die, right? That's that's pretty much the timeline. And I'm going to just call bullshit on that timeline. I'm really, really vocal about this one. You might not agree with me, but I don't think buying a house is the right money move for everyone to make. It's the right money move for some people at some certain stages in their life. Yes, absolutely. I bought my first house at 24 in Los Angeles when I had no business buying a house. I think we had somewhere around, mm, I think around $15,000 saved, something in that neck of the woods. We had money from our parents to help pay for the down payment. And of course, it worked out okay, but we were in a huge market increase in LA at that time. And our our house value grow, grew, I mean, more than I can even imagine. I mean, it was 6 or 8% at least a year. And so over a few years, the house really almost doubled in value. It was quite crazy. But a house is not a liquid asset. And what I mean by that is you can't just wake up tomorrow and decide that you need cash and you want to sell your house. Despite what... Um, HGTV wants you to believe, and this is coming from an HGTV addict myself, but you have to list the house and then you have to hope that someone pays you what you think the house is worth. 
Then you have realtor fees, moving fees, et cetera. I mean, just you get the idea. It's expensive. So I think a house is an asset really only if you plan to live there at least, uh, ballparking this, but like five to eight years, then it might make sense. To buy a house, you've got to have a down payment. It can be as low as 3% of the purchase price if you're getting a FHA loan, but 20% down is really the goal. So that could be a lot of cash and not everyone can lean on their parents to help them out or not everyone has this big, huge savings account. Because again, remember, <laughs> we're trying to overcome all of these other obstacles that are thrown in our way. Plus, once you buy the house, you've got the mortgage payment, you got taxes, you've got insurance. Yes, of course, the argument on the other side is you have tax deductibility. That's the reason why you buy a house. But you need to know the exact impact to your finances before you buy. So I often suggest to people, if you're thinking about buying, figure out what your monthly mortgage payment would be and live off that basically fake mortgage payment for a couple of months. See how that feels to you. See how your bank account feels. And that's a good indicator before you actually commit to buying a house of whether you really can make this work. So when is a good time to buy? Again, I would say at least five years plus that you plan on staying in that house. You have enough of a pad in your savings account to help you fund your down payment, repairs, all of that crap that comes up. And you're also able to continue to save towards retirement. Basically, you just aren't strapped with the monthly payment every month. I think that's that's a good sweet spot. The article in the Wall Street Journal also talks about the best places to live for financial growth. And I'm really, really glad they brought this up because we tend to think that LA or New York, the big cities are the best places to live, to grow your career and that makes sense for your money. But I have found that not to be always true. There are cities like Austin, Nashville, love Nashville, and Portland. Portland is a new favorite. And a lot of other growth cities that are a fraction of the price of living in one of the bigger cities. And that's really important in your 20s and 30s. Those are the years when you're growing in your career where you really want to stockpile cash as much as you can. And just by keeping your living expenses down, you can help yourself reach all your other money goals and hopefully not just be so stressed out when it comes to money. I've even had some friends do some really, really creative things like they bought a house in another city that is less expensive. Then they became a landlord, rented the house out, and they had positive cash flow every month. This was a form of passive income, not totally passive income, but then they were able to put that money that they saved towards buying their own home. So they were just really creative. There are lots of different ways to, to do this, to afford your goals, to afford the lifestyle you want to live. But you often have to detach from the idea that you have to struggle in a big city to make these things happen. Some people, your career's in a big city. You got to go to a big city. You work in the entertainment industry, the music industry, theater, whatever it may be. You, you got to be in one of those big cities. But again, I think taking it from what is your income? What are your expenses? And does it make sense for you to live in this city? 
Maybe it makes sense in five years. Maybe it makes sense now, but you got to have two other roommates. I don't know. You get where I'm going with this. So that brings us to the advice that we should keep because there's a lot of advice I think that's not all bad, that really is multi-generational. And I think we just need to learn how to make it work for us. So knowing your numbers, this is, I think, generation proof. I mean, I don't really know any generation where this money advice has not applied. And it's this simple, 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 and yet so effective process of just understanding where your money is going. Not the stuff that you pay every month, like your rent, your car payment, that stuff you got down pat. You pretty much know how that's going to flow. It's the stuff that you don't know. How much are you spending on eating out, going to concerts, Uber, traveling, gifts, ATM fees, all of those little things that vary from month to month. That is the magic. If you can figure out those expenses and really have a grasp over those, you can change so many things with your money and with your goals. I tell people all the time that I challenge you to find money in your bank account. It is there. It literally is there. Even if you feel like you don't have a lot of money, there is something that you're spending your money on that is depleting you and that maybe there's just a smarter way to do it. I think another piece of money advice that works is getting goals and a reward system in place. So what are those goals? What's the vision for your life? It sounds so elementary and yet it is so important because when you have the goals, the goals then root your spending. It tells your money where to go. So you can make those corrections with your numbers and it's inching you closer every day towards your goals. And then you can't forget a rewards process. I mean, I am a huge rewards fan. You have to build in something, whether it's you love to go for ice cream or you're going to get pizza takeout once a week or you're saving for this concert or this festival you want to go to, whatever it is. Build a reward in for yourself, but you, of course, you got to actually do a little work. This is the part of just keeping yourself accountable, but it's your money. So I, I think I think doing the work is kind of worth it. And also setting up a money system. There is no right way or one way to do this, but just putting some sort of guidelines in place, some sort of boundaries, for example... I check our spending every single Sunday. I make sure that I take about 20 minutes. I go through, I categorize everything. I'm an entrepreneur, so I got to be super diligent with this. But also it helps me see, okay, where are we on track? Where are we getting off track? And how are we working this month towards our goals? It's just a little simple system that really, really helps we also have this rule. I, I talked about it on a couple of previous episodes, but we put a certain amount of money every week on a credit card that my husband Jeff and I both have access to. So we use that for all of our like regular expenses, groceries, gas, all that sort of stuff. And that helps us really keep on track for the week because we can look and say like, oh crap, we're getting close to the budgeted amount. Do we need to not go out to eat this week or what what changes do we need to make or do we need to borrow money from next week in order to make things work. So 
come up with what works for you, but set up some sort of monthly money system. And I think the last rule or money advice, whatever you want to call it from our parents that really works is just audit your finances. What are you earning on your high yield savings account? Is it more than your bank account? What are you earning in your retirement account? What are your fees in your retirement account? Are you paying any silly bank fees that you can avoid? Are your credit cards at the lowest interest rate possible for your credit score? It's all these little things that really add up. I mean, this is where the magic is. If you're looking for a magic potion or you're looking for a quick fix, whatever it may be, this is the stuff that really <laughs> legends are made out of. This is how wealthy people stay wealthy. It's not the super complicated stuff. It's this money advice that's been passed down from generation to generation that still works. So yeah, we need different stuff. We need different advice. We need different rules. But then we also need to cling to some of the stuff that that works, that it it, it pretty much works for any age, pretty much works for any generation. And I think the last message I really want you to sit with is just be the CEO of your finances. Be in charge. Think about your money in terms of happiness. This is something that we started doing this year, and it's a really, really, really changed how we think about what we spend our money on. And you can borrow from uh, Marie Kondo here, but think about what expenses, as she would say, sparks joy and which ones you really just like pissed off about. Work to lower get rid of the ones that make you mad. But savor the ones that bring you joy because I think that's the that's the whole reason we're alive. So not all the money rules our parents taught us, they're not all bad. Some of them still work. We just need to vet them against the realities of our life, the realities of today's world, and keep what works and throw out what doesn't. So thanks so much for checking out this episode. If you love what you heard, please head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review for the podcast. It's one of the best ways to show us some love and help us bring Millennial Money Podcast to even more listeners. I'll see you back here in a few days for a fresh new episode.